Welcome to I Wish I'd Known That, a show where our goal <laughs> is to learn how to beat the curve and set ourselves up for success, working to avoid the phrase, I wish I'd known that. To do that, we sit down with professionals, entrepreneurs, and all-around interesting people to learn about the paths they've walked, how they found success in their industries, and where they've failed along the way. I'm Jack O'Connor, joined by my co-host, Joey Gartner. Good evening. And today, we are joined by John Silver, a Chicago-based director, writer, producer, and the co-founder of Show Pup Productions. How are you? Oh, I'm okay. Good. Well, welcome to the show. Um, I see here that you would like us to call you John the Captain of Awesome yeah. on your pre-interview questions. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> I hit the mic. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's what I was called back when um, we were in high school and college together. Yeah. You know you're still in my phone is that. Actually. Yeah. So I think <laughs> that'd be appropriate. Yes, yes, yeah, yes. We should probably go over that real quick. How yeah. do we know John? Um, so John uh, is one of my closest friends. John and I uh, not only have produced some f- film projects together over the years, we've also Lived uh, together. been very close friends since the ninth grade. And we've worked together on some feature films. There was only one ninth grade. It the, was ninth the ninth grade. You weren't in it. I was. So I don't I was, know where you I were that there. year. <laughs> um, what was that? Ninety nine. Uh, no. What? Ninth grade. Ninety two thousand one. What is ninth grade? Two, it would have been oh, two thousand. No, that makes sense. It been, uh, no, it would have been ninety nine. You're right. It would have been ninety nine. I, I vaguely remember. We all. Anyway. No. What I, was what song do you remember that lets you know it was nineteen ninety nine? Oh, you know what? I probably can name one. It's uh, Will Smith, the Millennium. Uh, Actually, that's, that's almost certainly. This, so, how I know John is we—I think the first time I met you was we went to—we uh, used to play trivia together on Sundays at. Uh, you came to the Logan at the Logan Bar, yeah, on occasion. Oh, were you Dan? The host? I was. I was Dan <laughs> oh. the whole time. I was like, there's something different about Dan now. <laughs> he changed his race a little bit. He's a totally He's, taller person. He is taller, mildly. Uh, yeah, we used to. I think Joey. We started because we were living together in Logan Square, and we were yeah. playing trivia. We used to go to trivia every Sunday night. Yeah, for close to two and a half years. It's a long time. We both moved away from Logan Square and then kept going. And we still kept going to trivia there. Yeah. yeah. Um, so welcome to the show, John. I'm on the show. Um, Thanks for having me. <laughs> I'm in the show. Look at this place. Um, you're in, in a, the studio. You're in a okay, studio. It's very studio. It's, it's, it's the I wish I knew that studio. <laughs> um, <laughs> Cool branding, guys. So you have kind of a, a, a jack of all trade introduction here, right? So you've got a, a I'm so director. Glad that it wasn't a physical thing. <laughs> <laughs> you have like a just a horrible, horrible <laughs> thing hanging out of your nose right now. Well, you do, just, but yeah. Oh my god! All right, you want to get it? Um, yeah. So you've got a, a writer, mm-hmm. director, producer, co-founder of Show Pup, and honestly, I think there's a lot more. Uh, creatively to your work than just that. Tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Well, I don't know what I'm doing. That's why there's so many different things. Um, I'm probably, I probably got like another half a dozen titles that aren't in there. Uh, I work in multimedia. I do a lot of video stuff, but I also work in advertising. So I've done graphic design and web design. I still do a lot of that. But um, video and like film is really the thing I'm passionate about. Um, and you know this. I mean, Joey and I have been 
making silly videos for like 20 years together. Yeah, um, <laughs> that is true. Dating back 20 years almost. Together. Yeah, almost yeah. 20 years. Yeah. And um, really only in the last five or six years I've been pretty serious about doing film because for a long time after uh, I got out of college, uh, digital cinema and digital video wasn't as accessible as it is now. Mm -hmm. um, so really in the last five or six years, I've become more and more of an actual filmmaker. Um, I don't even know if you heard this story, but I got the first award recently. I did. I actually uh, I saw that your most recent yeah. short uh won an award at a film festival. Tell us about it. With, that's the first thing for me. So I have a new short film that came out called Dinner in Hyde Park. It's something I wrote a few years ago and finally produced uh, last year. It was released this spring, and it's been at a few film festivals, but we went to the New York International Film Festival a couple weeks ago, and then randomly I got an email. They're like, hey, sorry that our judging took forever. <laughs> Here's the results. You won. <laughs> And they put all the winners on the same email. So it didn't oh, say, really? yeah, it didn't say like <laughs> John Silver won for dinner in Hyde Park. They're like, hey, everybody, you, you're the winners. And that was like <laughs> everybody paragraph wins. three. And I was like, uh, what's going on? And then like I went and I looked on their website and for the best narrative short, uh, dinner in Hyde Park won. So it Can was, I ask you about yeah. that? Um, so dinner in Hyde Park is a project mm -hmm. that I know you've worked on for a really long time. Mm -hmm. Um, what finally motivated you to to take it from a starting point where you've been uh -huh. with it for a while to really fleshing it out and finally making it? Because I know it's something you've kicked around for a while. Yeah. Oh, my God. So I think I started the script like three years ago, had the idea even before that. I was really working on the script for a very long time. and I sent the script to different um, script contests and I got a couple of like semi-finalist things and some good feedback so like uh, it was a national semi-finalist in this contest and they only take the top 15 percent for that so i felt like oh okay out of the thousands of people who submitted to this this is like a pretty decent script so i thought okay well one day i'm gonna do this it was really long and it was 40 pages and i'm like what am i gonna do with this 40 page thing i either expand it or cut it down and a bunch of people gave me feedback to cut it down. So after we finished uh, we finished the civil hoax, I decided, okay, well, I'm going to um, do this short next because the civil hoax was a mockumentary, and you know from working on that, it really wasn't um, strictly scripted. No. Like we had, um, you know, we had dialogue uh, that was improvised. We knew thematically what each character was going to do. And we had strictly scripted narration, but I had never then directed something that was 100% narrative. So what was that? What was that transition like? Because I think I think mm -hmm. if I'm be characterizing most of your work, most of what you do is at least in some capacity improvisational. And this, I mean, to be fair, Joey, most of the stuff is me with my shirt off, <laughs> <laughs> confused on why there's a camera on me, pretending to be either. Uh, uh, GN Vanderfars or uh, MC Raggy Randy. Like a lot of the videos I make are so ridiculous things I'm just doing in an afternoon because my wife's out of town or something. <laughs> and I'd like, I'd done sketches and I just wanted to do something. I'm like, okay, this is 
this is a real film from top to bottom. There's no um, there's no criticism of oh well you took a easy way out or this is really just a sketch or this is experimental. I'm like no this is a film. I wanted um, SAG actors as you know union actors um, really. We really spent a lot of time on the script, had a huge crew. I think we had 12 or 13 people um, working on the crew. And so I just wanted to do that so that um, some of the people who would like sass my silly sketches, I could be like, no, I, I, I can do this. I can mm-hmm. make a film. It's uh, it's uh, 20 something minutes. It's 22 minutes, I think. And um, a lot of people who had been sassing me, they've never done that. Was it so harder? this is bragging rights. Was it Was it harder or was it easier than you expected? Uh, it was way harder than I expected. Okay. Yeah, can you walk through sort of the practical steps? Because I think that yeah. this is one of those things that I have no concept of or understanding of, of mm-hmm. the actual work and and practical, like, start to finish, how you actually make yep. a work, mm-hmm. right? So presumably you need money. I don't know if you start there after you've got your script or where did you start? Yeah, so um, we did the script first. After I finished the script... I decided, okay, we're going to take this seriously. So my target was to raise about eight grand to make mm-hmm. it, which is way less than professional uh, quality. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, even the cheapest stuff is like a thousand dollars a minute. So this was going to be twenty-two minutes, but I was going for like eight grand. We did a fundraising campaign through Indiegogo and raised like, I don't know. I think $2,800. So mm-hmm. like not a ton for what I needed, but you know, lots of people donated. So I was like very, I was very grateful for everybody, but uh, we had to raise some money elsewhere. Um, so show pub uh, kicked in some, and then I put a little bit of my own money into it. So I went through and I cut the budget down. I think we ended up having 7,000 for what we needed. Um, and then we went into pre-production. And so pre-production is a phase of, filmmaking which is so actual such a large portion Mm -hmm. a lot of people think okay so you get a script then you get a camera and you start making it It, there's so much that goes on before that with um, scheduling uh, making a shot list um, casting but then also rehearsing um, working with the crew that every single person on the crew not only knows how to do what they're doing but knows specifically what you as a director wants and then the biggest challenge um, that I had was finding the location to shoot. And then um, once we had the location, we had to shoot a 29-page script in two days, mm-hmm. which is more than twice as fast as recommended for, way more than twice as fast, mm-hmm. uh, almost three times as fast as like what feature films or other short films do. That was uh, that was a huge challenge. And so then after pre-production, you go into production, which is pretty much just shooting. That was two days, so that was a tiny fraction of the film. Mm-hmm. And then we were in post-production, which took a very long time because um, this film only uses one actor for three different roles. So he is playing three versions of the same person at yeah. three different ages. And so what we had to do is do uh, compositing and split-screening Okay. To make him have conversations with himself. And so that took forever. Cool. When, when you say finding a location took a long time, is that because yeah. you have to go to specific, there are only specific areas or places that you're allowed to shoot? Or is it just you couldn't find the right place that you thought 
captured what you were it was, going for. Yeah, it was an artistic thing. Um, I really wanted to find a place that was authentic to um, what I thought the character had. Um, it was inspired by a real apartment. Mm. And I asked the people from that real apartment, you know, how would you feel if we shot a film in yeah. your apartment? And I heard nothing from them for months. Yeah. And I was like, okay. <laughs> I, you know, I overstepped. And they're a relative, so I didn't want to. They're an in-law, actually, so I didn't oh, want really? to like annoy them. Yeah. And I didn't. And I thought like, if they just don't want me to shoot there, that's fine. So we looked at other locations, and I realized that we were going to be spending money on locations. And then I decided, well, if I want uh, to have total complete control over the location, we're just going to film in my house. Mm-hmm. So I started setting up everything that we're just going to fill in my house. And I was like, okay, we'll have more time. Like I can set everything up in advance. My wife was being very, very easy going about the whole thing, even though like we're going to have to like board my dog for days and things like that. (laughs) There's no way we could have 13 people or 14. Actually with Cass, it'd be like 18 people in my house. My dog would be going nuts. So we were about to do that, and like two or three days before we're ready to shoot, my in-laws email me back, and they're like, hey, you can do the movie in our apartment. Yeah. (laughs) And I was was like, oh, my God, what do we do? Because we haven't talked to them about the logistics Mm -hmm. of getting all these people in their house. And I I didn't explain to them yet that it's going to be, you know, for like 14 hours, they're going to have to be quiet um, in their house. So we went over there. And I I walked them through it, and they were like, "Sounds cool. Like, yeah. go ahead." And I was like, "Okay, well, we're probably gonna destroy your house." <laughs> <laughs> and they were like, "Well, uh, we kind of wanna help out young artists, and we wanna be cool people. So okay." <laughs> like yeah. I that I was just so nervous because yeah. they have. An amazing apartment. It's this really vintage, like 1920s apartment in Hyde Park, and they've got tons of heirlooms and antiques. Yeah. But it's the exact apartment that inspired the script. Okay. Because uh, the script was inspired by um, me having dinner there when I had met my wife. Um, we were still dating 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh my God, how does her like family have such amazing taste and an amazing apartment? And um, I was like, in my 20s, so I was like asking them stupid questions like, <laughs> how much are your utilities? <laughs> like, do you, use a, do you guys have to split cable with other people who live here? This is like a four bedroom and there's only two of you. What do you do with your other room? And then, you know, he's like a world-renowned author. So he yeah. just like has a nice apartment. So when you, when, when you said, you know, you... <clears throat> you go through this whole process. You've sort of mm-hmm. laid out what it looks like from end to finish for you. Mm-hmm. Um, was that longer than you expected for this project to take? Was it shorter? Was it about what you expected? Well, uh, so I wanted longer, but um, it was it was tight. We had we put some deadlines on ourselves okay. that mm-hmm. going back I probably wouldn't have. But um, if you give yourself too much time. Uh, sometimes the excitement can dwindle or if you like take too long the audience is going to fade away I think specifically with this it was crowdfunded and lots of friends and family were involved and excited to see the project and the cast we shot with the cast in November and then we were going to release it six months later 
you know, if I had waited a year, they might not have even been in town. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know one of the actresses moved to New York seven months after we shot. So I think um, we set a premiere date probably, uh, you know, a month too soon. But I wanted that deadline. Yeah. So when you say a month too soon, do you feel like you lost time that you would still have made editing changes yeah. or there were creative choices you would have made differently? Um, I think I would have done several things uh, in post differently. I think, um, you know, I would have spent more time time sound editing. And uh, I did the color correction myself. And looking back at it, and I was like, all right, I probably should have hired a professional for that. But color correcting is actually such a huge part of, of digital film now that it can be, you know, 15 percent. Mm-hmm. Do you budget. ever do you ever think uh, so? So this project, you set a deadline, you meet that deadline mm-hmm. after the fact. You, you, you think I could have made these changes. Do you typically find yourself critical of your work after it's done, or do you kind yeah. of set stuff aside and move on? Oh, my God. Some uh, friends were over last night and wanted to watch the film, and I had to leave the room. Really? Yeah. yeah. I mean, what? and I, well, so the thing is, I'm 99% proud of it, but every minute there's one hair of something that I'm like, oh, that bugs me. Yeah. And they're at, it's at the point now, well, you can't fix you can't fix them because I'm. It's like oh, this actress or this actor said that line this way, mm-hmm. um, or I'm like okay, you know, I wish we had had more time to shoot that, or I would have gone back and and taken out one frame here, added two frames there, and you can keep doing that and doing that and doing that, but you could do it forever. Yeah, right. You know, I was gonna say, do you ever find yourself doing that in perpetuity, or, yeah. or do you eventually? Or can you set it aside? You, ha- I mean, you have to stop. I mean, once you really put it out there permanently, you have to stop fiddling with it. Um, film is such a creative thing that you're never gonna be a hundred percent satisfied. And mm-hmm. if you are a hundred percent satisfied, it's a little odd. Yeah, <laughs> people are gonna judge you if you have no criticism of your own work. Um, but I, I just. Every time I tweak it, I'm afraid that I've maybe taken something away from it. Okay. Um, you know, it's like it's like a, a a meal. It's best served, you know, hot out of the oven or something. And you'd be like, oh, I wish I'd done this a little better. You can kind of only wait till next time. You can't just like go put the chicken back in the oven. It's gonna dry out. You know, so there's all of these things that you could keep messing with it, but then it's just going to eventually become disgusting and nothing like the original. So at this point, I'm I'm content with it and I'm happy that uh, strangers like it. Yeah, it won an award. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, it won an that's award that's from so complete yeah. strangers. Yeah. I don't even know those people. Like I only met one or two of them. Uh, so yeah, that's that's a compliment, and I just have to be content with it. So we've talked a lot about your. Um, most recent project Mm -hmm. let's talk about how you got to that project because you've been in this space as you said for for pretty heavily for the last seven or eight years um what were you Mm -hmm. doing before that and and what led you to this i was putting my finger in my belly button (laughs) and like taking pictures of it probably sending them to you oh i should recommend your instagram it's it's one of my favorites actually (laughs) it is so amazing i did not understand what was happening at first and then It, in it's, aggregate, <laughs> it's John, sadly John, less disgusting now. Your Instagram, yeah, it's more about your dog now. But yeah. your Instagram, 
to me was one of the most interesting Instagrams <laughs> ever, simply for the fact that it skewered the medium so effectively mm. with almost nothing by just like yeah. taking pictures of the back of your knee. Yeah. Or like the most innocuous things that a human can do. Yeah, the back of my knee is so really popular. Um, <laughs> <laughs> a, couple of, a couple of my friends really like when I took a picture of I was wearing shorts, but with uh, a black crew sock. They really <laughs> like that. It's just my foot. Um, yeah, there's a lot of I think my favorite really is still uh, owed to a busted toe. Oh, from my 30th. Yeah. Yeah. My toe got messed up on my 30th birthday. So it's just a close-up of my bloody toe. Um, what were we talking about? What, were what you was doing I doing? This? Yeah. What was I doing before? Um, before Instagram. Serious, uh, <laughs> before Instagram. So I was just making silly videos. Like Joey and I were doing this in like high school and middle school a little bit. You know, I had a camcorder and I was making just funny videos for mm-hmm. YouTube. And uh, digital cinema like went through this really odd transition of um, films that you saw in theaters were still shot on actual celluloid film. Yeah. And then about 10 years ago, the digital cinema really caught up and the resolution and all of these things got to be so that it became a standard for films. But then the consumer grade technology became more available. And so about six years ago I got a really good camera yeah and I was like I can make stuff that people might actually want to look at on the internet Mm -hmm. so I started doing sketches I did a TV pilot with my friends I was doing a ton of live theater of sketch and improv I managed uh, the annoyance theater for a while and I was doing just silly bits for stage but then I started getting more into um, the screen because I could have a little bit more control over it. So um, what do those differences look like? So those differences are you can do it on in video. You can do it a hundred times and then just take the one you like. Yeah. The In theater, you have to do it a hundred times. And then the hundred and first thing is just whatever happens, happens. And that's in front of an audience. Mm-hmm. So what I like about video is I could say, all right, let's try it this way. No, 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 let's go back, back the other way and try it that way. And you keep trying and you're trying and you can rehearse and then you know exactly what you want and then you can get it perfect. And all of these things about lights and sound and color and set and costumes and acting, they come together and then you can get it exactly the way you want. With theater, I mean, anytime any of this stuff goes wrong, you've just embarrassed yourself on stage. <laughs> and I was doing so much improv where I was a small fraction and everyone else was doing what they wanted to do. And it wasn't always the vision that I thought for how the show would go. And it's just a different medium. It's sort of like being a composer versus playing jazz, you know, improv jazz. You can do whatever you want on a saxophone, but as a composer, you can say, everybody, here are the notes you're playing. So it was just my need to be in control. So I was gonna I was gonna say what it sounds like to me at least is you went from a you went from a world where creatively you had uh, limited control yeah, and yeah. to a world where you had ultimate creative control. Yeah. Um, Talk about that. So as an improviser and a, like as performer around Chicago, I felt like I was doing a good job, but there was nothing to show for it. Mm-hmm. Literally nothing because I almost rarely had 
my shows even marketed or advertised. Yeah. And so no one saw videos of me doing improv. If I said a funny line once, that was it. Just the people that saw it, it's gone forever. But then when I do funny videos alone in my apartment, I would have more people see those. Yeah. Even like 100 views on YouTube is more than the 40 views you get doing live theater. Yeah. So I just liked that more. And then more people saw it. People who I never talked to in improv would say like, I really liked that dumb video you did where you took your shirt off. <laughs> and I was like, if I take my shirt off or get on the floor, people are going to like actually want to look at it more mm-hmm. than, hey, come to me and I'm going to do 20 minutes of improv and I have no idea if it's going to be good. So I just started getting more artistic satisfaction from doing video. And so I slowly transitioned into it. And everyone I was doing improv with, I was putting in the videos and stuff like that. And um, it just became a more satisfying medium for the stupid silliness I wanted to do. I could just get it the way I wanted to. You know, we know timing is so important in the comedy. And uh, if I tried something in live theater and it didn't time well, mm-hmm. I, I couldn't recreate it exactly the same. But in video and in, in film, I could like try it again and it worked. That's cool. Mm-hmm. So, do you prefer that medium now at this point? Yeah. Actually, like I went back and I did improv a few times recently in the last few months just to see, like, do I still like this at all? And, uh, you know, of a 25-minute improv set, there's three or four good laughs maybe that I'm like, oh, yeah, that was fun. But in my 22-minute film, there's, you know, dozens of funny things that I'm proud of. Not only did I write them and get the um, actors on the same page where they were showing off their talent but the cinematographer is happy with it you know the Mm -hmm. people who did the sound and lighting and stuff like that are happy with it so it's definitely just what I prefer now because there are people that I didn't even know knew who I was at events and they've been like oh can we ask you about how you do the thing you do and I'm like what do you think that I do? Yeah. <laughs> do what you is think it you I think work I'm here? Doing here? Yeah, like I'll, I'll go to like a film event, and I was at a film event uh, a couple months ago, and there were a hundred people there, and someone got up to speak for a few minutes, and they're like, "Okay, so here's what our film events about. We're about bringing people together." And hey, everybody, look, John Silver's over there, and then like everybody turned and clapped. <laughs> <laughs> and I was sitting by myself in the corner. That's just a I, regular thing, though. <laughs> <laughs> and it happens to me all the time when I come to work. Th- right? It was the first time that there's <laughs> anything like that had ever happened to yeah. me. Uh, I had no idea that people in that room knew who I was, and probably only half of them did, but it's something... Yeah, but if five people clap, then the rest of the room doesn't yeah. want to feel like an asshole. Yeah, exactly. So everyone's <laughs> going to start clapping. You know, it's, it's, I don't know. How long was I doing? This show. <laughs> How dare you? Uh, <laughs> all right, you want me to take my I apologize. A-hole. I'll take my belly button now. Jack, Jack can see my belly button. Yeah. What By the think? way, I should, we probably should have repositioned ourselves. Joey and I are sitting across from you, basically. Yeah, so uh-huh. we're just interrogating it you does, at this does, point. Does it feel like we're playing good cop, bad cop, or bad cop, bad cop? It's always good cop, good cop for me. I really respect <laughs> our police force. <laughs> um, so so let me ask you um yeah. you know y- you you've recently finished your first uh project that 
you've taken a scripted project from beginning to end. A lot of your other kind of, work yeah. has been, uh, your film work has been improvisational in nature. Mm-hmm. Um, is that a matter of that's what you were comfortable with? Is that a matter of you you still like that element of improv? I mean, what, yeah. why did you marry those two together so closely in so much of your work? Well, yeah, I do think that um, I've had experience both as an actor and a writer and a director, and I think that the actor has the most freedom to make artistic choices when they can improvise it or they can paraphrase it or they can make it their own. Mm -hmm. So I do like to give actors that range to change the line or if they have a better idea, just go ahead and say it. So that's why I use that technique. Um, I mean, I think how many times were we cracking up on the set of the civil hoax because we would feed a line to someone who was super talented and then they would come up with something, you know, um, a little different, but it was that change that made it so new and funny. Yeah. So why wouldn't, why wouldn't I give uh, them all that opportunity? I do prefer to be in a situation where it's comedy, where, um, I could give them range to improvise. I think with dinner in Hyde Park, I pretty much just wanted to prove to myself and and people that I could write and direct all by myself, uh, you know, a narrative. um, Because there's other things where it was scripted, but I didn't write it. Or I wrote part of it and other, like, um, I made Pets, but that was a silent film that Orlando wrote. I did the TV pilot, um, but I only wrote about half of that. And some other people like Drew and Tara and uh, Ryan and Kellen and stuff uh, wrote on that. Um, so this was one where I'm like, I wrote and directed it by myself to prove to a few people uh, that I could do it. Um, but I think, you know, going forward, yeah, I do love improv. So I, I would always want to use that. Yeah, yeah. So when, you, when you've sort of gone through your creative catharsis I think personally uh-huh. as a friend and someone who's written with you a lot in the past who's worked uh-huh. with you a lot of projects I think in the last two years you've really developed artistically to uh, to not only completing more projects but completing projects that you're a lot prouder of that you're happy or happier with and in my experience it's led to some sure. critical feedback how do you interpret criticism when your art is so public oh you mean people like criticizing me more yeah, yeah yeah i mean and and good and bad criticism right because i know that uh the previous film before dinner in hyde park the civil hoax which we produced together um that got reviews and i know you and i had some very interesting <laughs> conversations of like how do you interpret these yeah feedback besides the fact that you know my mom went on the internet and called you a, <laughs> called genius. You a genius yeah i remember yeah. seeing that well first of all diane is fantastic and she should review more movies <laughs> Um, yeah, how, so how do you respond to different criticism? Um, it's very different. You know, when we were making The Civil Hoax and uh, the Chicago Reader didn't quite get it, you know. It was, it was lost on them. It was lost on them a little bit. And so I don't want to respond to that criticism with any change. And even they admitted it was funny, but didn't make any sense. And I was like, that's almost what we were going for. That's kind of the point. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But, you know, I mean, the Chicago Tribune put it on their can't miss indie cinema list, which uh, all I know is, you know, someone at the Tribune looked at least a minute of it and was like, yeah, cool. (laughs) You should go see this this weekend. Sounds fine. Um, 
in advertising, you know, sometimes I do commercials, sometimes I do video shoots, and I have to listen to criticism because it's being paid for by a client. So professionally, you have to listen to that criticism, but you also have to be like, you have to really try to figure out and listen closely to not just what the criticism comes out as, but what are they observing? Like, what do you think they're seeing? Because, you know, the Chicago Reader didn't quite get it. And so from their perspective, when we put ourselves in their shoes, oh, yeah, that criticism makes sense. Mm-hmm. But if someone was like, oh, you know, I, I I just don't think it's funny, there's nothing you could do with that criticism. Mm-hmm. But um, I there has been some good criticism of things where people come up with a suggestion. And I was like, oh, I never even thought about that. And that resonates with me as the filmmaker so sometimes I'll make changes after a screening um, because of uh, some good feedback and it's not always just about whether it's you know negative or positive I've gotten compliments before them like actually that compliment's stupid <laughs> because that's <laughs> that's not at all what I what we were going for and a lot of people think that is an issue <laughs> so uh, criticism's really hard to deal with but you have to take it as data you have to interpret it somehow. You know, if someone goes online and says, not funny, well, that just means that they're not your target audience. Mm-hmm. And then maybe who they are informs you. You know, um, I've done stuff that you've hated. That's very true. Uh, <laughs> like my wife's favorite video I've ever done is The Maid, probably. And you hate The Maid. I, can't, I cannot stand that. It's <laughs> on what YouTube. Is, what is The Maid? Uh, yeah, so I'm of this. it's I play my own maid where I come home from work and it's me and I had a rough day. Oh, I have seen this. And it's I me ha- in a towel yeah. on the floor. And some people think it's really <laughs> offensive and it's stupid and it's so lowbrow. Uh, it's just I think that's it. It's <laughs> yeah. you you your work has a sense of the comedy of the absurd. Yeah. And the problem that I think uh, that you can run into when you have a comedy of the absurd is like some things are too absurd to be funny mm-hmm. and some things are too funny to be absurd. And mm-hmm. there's like a weird kind of dichotomy there. Yeah. And I think that's always the problem I've struggled with that piece of your work where it's like that falls right in the middle of that line of like it could be significantly more absurd or significantly more funny. But yeah. you married those sort of in a, in a way that's, I think, uh, disjointed to me. And we've talked about this a lot. Yeah. I mean, I think you accuse me of being George Lopez-esque. I think <laughs> I, may, I, I may have said this feels like a, a bit from the George Lopez show. Yeah, which makes sense. Like, I think that... I think that is exactly how it Sometimes in comedy, like, a lower, the lowest comedy denominator is, like, a guy puts on, uh, does drag, and is like, oh, this is funny for just being drag. And I've mm-hmm. done drag several times. I always feel like there's this other element to it, which is the joke to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and the joke to the maid is I... I, I think the thing that happens is it's me and that both people is like really sad about their work situation. And that was because I was miserable in my work situation <laughs> when I shot that video. Mm-hmm. So that's like why I made that. Yeah. It's not necessarily just like, oh, a man in drag is funny right, right. on itself. But my wife loves it. My wife thinks the bit with the maid having a hurt foot is the funniest thing I've ever done. <laughs> and I have to take that as like both a negative and a positive because my one of my best friends in the world 
does not like it at all. My <laughs> wife loves it and thinks it's her favorite. So mm. you're just going to get that in anything you do that's creative. You're going to have a wide range. Um, people are, there's, if you do a whole bunch of films, you're going to have a fan favorite, and then you're going to have a critical favorite, and you, your significant other's going to like one, and your best friend's going to like a different one. So is this where, if, if you look back, Fifteen years when you were doing improv, um, mm-hmm. uh, when you were sort of starting out on this comedy venture, is this where mm-hmm. you anticipated being? Is it completely different? Is it? Do you not know? When I think about it, it's like close enough that I don't feel bad, but still feel a little bad. <laughs> <laughs> what, so what is what, what is oh, that? It's, I mean. I have to be fair with myself because when you're 21, 22, 23, you're like, all right, 22, just about working to the top. When I'm 23, I'll be almost at the top. When I'm 24, <laughs> I'll be on top, but a little, I'll have a little further to go. By the time I'm 28, I want to be the king of the top. And it's just no one, you guys yeah. know. Yeah. Right. It's just not how it works out. So it can be disappointing because I think. If we're being honest, like when I came to do comedy, I'm like, oh, I'd like to have a TV career or I could. I was like, if at least I get like paid to do comedy, that'd be fun. And that didn't work out. But I I have gotten paid to do comedy. Like I have been hired to perform for, you know, weeks or I've had some of my shows be at Second City. Like I, I wrote a show that was uh, on one of their Skybox uh, shows. So I've had these minor successes. And the film career is something that I was like, oh, it'd be great to be acting in real films. And, you know, I'm not getting national distribution. Mm -hmm. These films are being seen by, you know, hundreds of people, not millions of people. But if I'm being fair, I could have been nowhere. I could have not been doing comedy, not been doing film or anything creative at this point. You know, I uh, so I am more satisfied than dissatisfied at this point. So, I'm yeah, content. <laughs> not, I'm not thrilled, but yeah, like I'm satisfied. Yeah. No, I, th- I think that makes sense. I mean, you sort of outline like I think most people in their professional development have this tiered hierarchical of like, this mm-hmm. is where I'll be here. This mm-hmm. is where I'll be here. And, and I certainly know I've fallen victim to that too. And sometimes you have mm-hmm. to give yourself some grace with that and just sort of be like, well, it's not a straight line necessarily. Yeah. There's, 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 there's different opportunities that you pursue that take you in a different direction that mm-hmm. maybe weren't where you thought you were going to be. I personally, uh, I've really enjoyed watching you develop not only um, creatively, but really as a physically? filmmaker. Yes, physically as well. Oh, in, God. in all directions. I really wanted you to say physically. Uh, physically. Yeah. Um, Can you see my belly button? I can't. I, I have I, seen it now I, twice I, I can't today. from where I'm sitting, which is just <laughs> Oh, great. there it is. Oh, okay. It's still there. <laughs> Yeah, um, I'm putting I, it all over the studio. I really enjoyed watching you <laughs> develop creatively as a filmmaker, and in a lot of ways, develop independently. Um, and what I mean by that is politically. No, not sort of not moderately. <laughs> no, um, what I mean by that is you've taken so much more ownership over your projects. Yeah. Once you speak, once you moved a little away from improv and less acting, more into. A, uh, an overarching creative control role and it's mm-hmm. it's been really fun to watch your work develop under that thanks dude you're welcome just cool just a compliment I like it I like compliments 
What's the I dumbest like compliment recording. you've been given, though? Oh, God. Because you said question. you got some yeah. dumb ones. <laughs> um, well, I, I want to know if it was question. for me. <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, so uh, there, you know, are things in film that like are technical and sometimes people will say like, they're like, oh, man, you know, the lighting there was so amazing. I'm like, we did. I don't think we did anything special yeah. there. Or uh, someone will be like, oh, how'd you do that? Um, man, what are some of the dumb things? I mean, uh, someone uh, someone uh, complimented one of, uh, some, one of the lines in Dinner in Hyde Park. And they're like, oh, that was just so creative. How'd you come up with that? I'm like, I think I probably stole that from a TV <laughs> commercial like, <laughs> that was only like a year old and it's supposed to be something dumb that a character yeah. is saying to like show that they're like just they're just into media and they mm-hmm. absorb things like just like they're repeating things they see on in ads and things like that um yeah i've gotten some i've gotten some um really outrageous compliments they're like they're like oh you were great and i was like oh cool i wasn't in it <laughs> <laughs> They're like, no, 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 no. We, you were, you were the guy who wanted to have sex with Abraham Lincoln, and I was like, no, not, not exactly. <laughs> I was the guy who thought Abraham Lincoln was having sex with space aliens. <laughs> That's accurate in that I portrayed that character. And they're like, oh, I knew that you were the one that wanted to have sex with Abraham. Lincoln. <laughs> Do you find it hard to talk about your work? Um, I find it hard to talk about the work and not take a big dump on it, honestly, Mm -hmm. (laughs) because, um, when I think about it, it's like, oh, this is cool. I achieved this with $11,000 total over four projects. I'm proud of that. Mm -hmm. That's not something that you show that people know, you know, they don't see it. Um, when I look at other people's work and they're like, Oh, we did this, and our budget was only a quarter of a million dollars. Yeah, and then I'm like, honestly, I feel like mine is just as entertaining mm-hmm. as that. That's the thing where I really feel good about the work. If I just sit and watch it by myself, like I just don't feel mm-hmm. uh, great because I I see the tiny tiny flaws. Um, and it's it's hard to like sit and watch these things um like back to back to back and not be like god i'm such a hack this is terrible yeah if Um, you know what judges don't do to me read my own briefs back to me yeah that's what i was gonna say oh (laughs) right i was gonna say this is kind of a foreign i I don't have to reread it i get a chance to at least go in and say uh Here's what I meant to say. Here's the extra <laughs> stuff you didn't get to hear about. Oh, that's good. Like, you right, know, you get to explain yeah, it away. Yeah, I get to edit on the fly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Whereas your work is permanent and on display, and that's the yeah. point. Well, and at least with you guys, a judge is usually someone who has experience in the law. Yeah. True. Where a lot of people come up to me and they're like, I was supposed to see Cool Hand Luke, and I walked into this theater by mistake. And let me just tell you, this had zero Paul Newman in it. Zero Paul Newman with his shirt off. Zero Paul Newman running through the backwoods. I ate the popcorn, which was good. I don't know if you cooked the popcorn. But let me just tell you, 
you were very, very disrespectful of Ulysses S. Grant and what he was doing with sheep. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, just sometimes you have to listen to uh, whack jobs. Uh, I've been pitched projects by people, and, I'm, yeah. and I was like, oh, cool. No, I, I'm, I'm not doing that. <laughs> and so they like pester me about it. It's just uh, that's weird. So you've done a lot of production work with your uh, a company you co-founded called Show Pup. Mm-hmm. Um, what's that in like of it compared to your own projects where you have full creative oh, control? Yeah. What's it like to be in a production role? Uh, it's fun because I can lend gui- guidance to people. Um, I think I know so much more now than I did five years ago just doing it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it's the same thing in any profession, right? Like just doing it is the thing where you learn the most. Um, hey, that's the point of the show. Oh my right? God! Did you know that? Did you know that's why we're here? We have you here today. No, I thought this was a deposition. <laughs> uh, I thought this cop, was some sort deposition. of lawsuit. Um, what was I talking about? Uh, production. No one, production. Five years ago. Oh yeah. Lending guidance to folks. Yeah, so I like lending guidance to folks. I like producing. I like helping other people um, get their work done. I like challenging myself when I don't have creative control Mm -hmm. to still say, what can I do to make this better without changing the story, without changing the vision of the person who created Mm -hmm. it? Because I've had people come to me with scripts and ideas and say, okay, can you just direct this? And when that goes well, that's satisfying to know that, okay, here's a skill I'm going to focus on. I'm only going to be in charge of this section of it. But then to do that well is satisfying. Um, it's very different to produce than to direct or write or act because producing is um, in many ways the least um, creative, but it's the most work. Mm-hmm. You're just putting in time and time and time and effort and you're doing things you never thought you'd be doing like you know, just pulling cash out of your wallet to give to someone and be like, please don't leave right now. <laughs> or like, can you can you go get a different burrito for this guy? He, he says he's had burritos three meals in a row. Can you go get him like a gluten-free breakfast burrito? So you're doing things as a producer you never thought you would uh, do. It, it's a totally different side. Um, it's a much more like professional, managerial thing. Mm-hmm. Um there's stuff there's stuff in just like production especially production for hire in advertising you never thought you'd be doing like uh an ac is an assistant camera and a dp is a director of photography uh sometimes as ac and dp are best friends sometimes they are literally like pulling a camera apart like like little kids fighting over a doll (laughs) and you have to break up a fight um, you have to talk people off of ledges sometimes as a producer or the director. You can kind of little, you can just, everybody shut up. I'm in charge. Mm-hmm. Um, or you can just be like, I'm going to let the producer do with this. Right. Yeah. Um, so those are all these things in production and running a, a small production company that are, it's like running a business. Like you have to do things that aren't your core competency. You just have to do. Um, so it's different. That's a thing that's less fun, but um, is more rewarding in other ways. Like you just, when you get stuff done, you're just proud that you accomplished something as an adult. 
You know, <laughs> you know if I make something funny in a camp, uh, with a camcorder when I'm 16, that's still funny to me. Yeah. It's different than, oh, I produced this uh, web series that, that did well. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a totally different, it's a totally different muscle. And it feels, it feels different. Of your work, what's the thing that you're proudest of? Proudest of? Oh, my God. You know, I mean, I want to say the civil hoax, honestly, because uh, it's uh, it's a short feature, but it's feature length. We spent so long on that. We did. We didn't know, really, if it was going to be watchable. (laughs) (laughs) I I remember the first time. um, So... Some context here is John and I produced mm-hmm. a feature film uh, about a, two years ago. Uh, about a year ago it premiered last week. Yeah, we finished mm-hmm. it last year. Yeah. Um, and it was uh, about two years, two to three years of work went into getting it to that point. Yeah. And I, th- I remember the first time you and I sat down to watch what, what you'd edited together. And I was just like, I don't know if I want to do this. Like, I, yeah. I am so unsure of like, yeah. I, I've been here for three years and I know everything we've shot. And I'm worried yeah. that this is not going to work. Yeah, and I mean that's features. So uh, when you're when you're sitting and watching something for an hour, an hour and a half, two hours, um, two to three percent difference, cutting a minute, cutting two minutes, moving things around, changing the score, or like reworking something can make a huge difference. Just a like an unbelievable difference. Like if you look at uh, the director's cut for like, you know, Blade Runner versus the theatrical cut, you know, a lot of times people are like, what's the difference? And (laughs) they're just these things, you know, they added some narration, they cut a few scenes here and there. Sometimes it's minor things for features. But like what I'm super proud of is like, we were like, okay, well we got to fix that. Uh, And we got to cut a minute here. We got to do, we got to tweak this. And we just kept tweaking. And then I remember when it premiered, like, people were cracking up at things that like we didn't even think were that funny anymore because we were so deep in it. Right. right? But yeah, I'm, I'm just super proud of that because we threw it together. The Tribune liked it. How did the Tribune like a thing that we were just doing? This for weird 40 minute mockumentary. Yeah. That's just disjointed improvisers. Yeah. But if you think about like how super talented everyone is, um, people who are like on main stage at Second City, people who have been in film and television, people who are at Steppenwolf, all of these super talented people who have like uh, gone on to some big things just in the last year and a half that we got to do uh, this and like we came up with this idea and then it became super topical <laughs> because yeah. the president of the United States started denying aspects of the Civil War. So just all of these like little things um, came together. I'm super proud of it because it's one of these things that I still like. When I sit down and watch it, I get all of these emotions. I'm like, this is funny. This is moving. This is still like, this is still topical. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm the most proud of it also because the most time went into it. Like I really worked on it, um, not just with the shooting and writing with you, but you know I did a lot of the editing. Yeah. So. Um, that's the thing I'm probably most proud of. I think production-wise, doing dinner in Hyde Park, shooting 29 pages in uh, 48 hours, mm-hmm. uh, in two days of shooting, 
and having one actor play three different roles mm. and then having people see the whole movie and not even know. Yeah. That I'm super proud of, that production part of it. Uh, but as a whole, uh, I'm most proud of the Civil Oaks. Is there anything that you've done that you're frustrated that it got a positive reaction because you didn't put that much time or effort into it? You're just like, oh, this is just a throwaway thing, you know, funny, whatever. Uh, and then all of a sudden people really like it and are talking to you about it or... or <laughs> Um, I did these little videos called uh, Lammy's Day Out oh, and Lammy Comes Home. And so I think Lammy's, uh, Lammy's Day Out was the first film I ever had in a film festival, which to me is like, they messed up. <laughs> <laughs> why, did they put, why did they put that in their film festival? Um, but that gave me a little bit of confidence to like, okay, well I can do like actual films, not just like stupid yeah. bits with the camera. Cause I was just doing a stupid, I felt like I was just doing a stupid bit with the camera, but people liked it and they saw all these metaphors yeah. that I didn't intend on. <laughs> um, so that's fine that they like it because I still like it, but I, I didn't think that of all the things I have done that that should be the most widely popular yeah it's i don't it's why is it so popular i don't know my six-year-old continues to call it his favorite piece of any of your work yeah <laughs> i think it's just like uh young and old like people little kids and adults and old people like it and i think my audience is definitely like you know super old seniors <laughs> Toddlers that just learn to speak and watch videos, and then people like who have uh, like complexes and mental <laughs> disabilities and stuff like that. So if there's, because I think we're we're probably getting sort of close to the end here. Um, if there's like one piece of advice you could give to yourself five years ago yeah. or or ten years ago, what would it be in terms of of pursuing what what it is you're pursuing? Yeah, I would say like. Um, plan for failure <laughs> and be okay with failure because there's so many creative endeavors mm -hmm. and other professional endeavors too where when you're looking at what your career is going to be you don't start thinking in advance about the failure you're afraid of it mm -hmm. but you're not prepared to roll and learn from the tiny failures that happen all the time. Mm -hmm. A client is unhappy with you. How do you deal with that? And the first time a client was unhappy with me, I'm like, oh, well, we just never speak again. <laughs> we just don't We just don't work together. And I'm just yeah. going to set this bridge on fire and I'll just never walk across this bridge ever again. Yeah. I wish that I had known, like, you're going to fail a little bit. Be like, that's cool. We're going to roll with it and let's make a change yeah. so that doesn't happen. And I wish I had been okay with that stuff instead of letting the failure be like, this project's terrible. <laughs> Set it ablaze. I'm leaving the state. I'm <laughs> just like, I'm going to change. Yeah. I'm going to change my outlook on life because of this failure. Uh, just just uh, roll with it. Yeah. Absorb it. Learn from it. Um, just And then be okay. Like, we're going to make a we're going to make a film or we're going to do whatever this project is or profession. And like sometime in the next few years, I'm going to fail and I'm going to learn from that. 
And that's how I'm going to know what not to do yeah. <laughs> going forward. And that information is going to be so much more valuable. That's, have you ever read The uh, War of Art? No. Okay. It's that it, it is the main takeaway. What you're talking about right now is not yeah. fearing failure. Yeah. It's I think that the takeaway is like amateurs are afraid of success and failure. Yeah. Professionals accept both and continue moving forward. Right. Yeah. And that's literally like you could read it in an afternoon. Um, and that's like the only lesson I learned. From yeah. it. But it, but that that really resonates. <laughs> I, I like that. Yeah. Learning how to fail is probably the most important thing because um the thing I'm probably the most proud of about me in general is I'm like, I'm going to succeed 90% of the time. Mm-hmm. And I actually plan to fail 10% of the time. I'm like, what's the thing where I can fail? Yeah. What's the thing that where I can fall down and not break everything? So I'm like, all right, well, I'm just going to accept this tiny piece of failure. And that's uh, going to be minimal. Yeah. It um it's super valuable to like accept and learn from failure. Awesome. Yeah. One last question. We asked every guest at the end of the show. With their belly button out or covered? <laughs> well, I think that might be the answer to the question. What is it besides work that you get excited for? Taking out your belly button? <laughs> no. Not unless I'm, you know, hanging out with a belly button audience or something. Um <laughs> you know, I can't say on mic that I expose my belly button. <laughs> but yeah, sometimes I do. Um, what was I, I going to say? Uh, what do I get excited about uh, besides my projects? Yeah, besides work. Yeah. I mean, when when my sports team is winning, even temporarily. You don't have a lot of that in your life <laughs> yeah, right now. No. So I'm like, I'm so focused on projects right now because I'm like, I've got nothing to do on the, the weekend. Tigers suck. Lions yeah. are going to be terrible. Yeah. Pistons are awful. Well, Pistons are mediocre. Mediocre. Awful. Just really and The mediocre. Red Wings aren't hockey anymore. Yeah. Um, you know, I think I'm excited for college football coming up. Um, I think the Big Ten is really stacked. I'm not uh, – I'm a Michigan football fan through legacy, just, you know, my um, parents and brothers. Uh, I really – I don't have faith in Jim Harbaugh, but I think that they've got some talent still. And so I think that they're going to be competitive in the Big Ten and – you know, I'm. I still like every touchdown. I still take those tiny victories. Uh, uh, I don't take those for granted. So I get excited about that. Um, I get super excited when I see something on film or television that just really makes me laugh out loud. Uh, I saw this sketch show called "I Think You Should Leave." It's on Netflix with Tim Robinson. I have not watched it. It's incredible. Yet. Is it, it's, Jack? Yeah. You gotta watch the whole thing. <laughs> Don't just watch an episode and then be like, oh, that's okay. You got to watch the whole thing. <laughs> He's it's right. So you, good. you really do. It's so good. And I love that because people came up to me and they're like, John, I need to apologize to you because you wrote a sketch five years ago. I thought it was terrible. And then Tim Robinson did the same thing and it was hilarious. <laughs> and I was like, yes, I knew that was going to work. <laughs> and I, I, he, so I saw this thing like the AV club ranked like 40, I think 40 sketches in eight episodes or something like that. Mm. And I was like, just combing through that. I'm like, I love 37 of these sketches. I love them. <laughs> and they all made me laugh and they still make me laugh. So yeah, just if I see one thing on film or on TV or Netflix and I laugh out loud, man, that I just feel good all day. Awesome. So, 
Yeah. Well, thanks for joining us. Thank this you. Is hey, you're welcome. <laughs> you know, I brought my belly button into the studio. I showed you. I dropped the mic before we started recording. Yeah, not broken. It. It's not broken. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll find out later, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, Anyway, uh, so I think that'll probably close it up. I want to give you an opportunity to uh, plug where we yes. can find your work and stuff. But uh, before we do that, I'm going to plug the show real quick. Fine. For the listeners, you can find us on Instagram at Wish I'd Known Pod. We will probably have content there at some point in the future. Uh, if you want to email us comments, questions, or future topics, you can do so by sending an email to wishidknownpod at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. And if you do send us an email or send us a, oh, we need to check for, to see if we have any five-star reviews on do iTunes. We? Yeah. I, I, I don't know yet. Okay. I haven't checked. Do I have to read them? Is uh, that the catch? Yeah, we will eventually. Okay. Um, did you guys ever read the ones that I did for your it, beer? It never showed up. What? I, I, we I never don't know if yours it. ever did. We, we got a phantom one that I thought could have been you. And then I found out it was one of my college friends. Oh, uh, uh, we were so <laughs> convinced it was you. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so anyway, where where can we find your work? Is it do you live online yeah. somewhere? Yeah, I, so almost everything I've done is on showpup.com, S H O W P U P. Uh you can find the simple hoax out there. You can go and you can buy it on Vimeo for two ninety nine. Uh you can see the trailer for Dinner in Hyde Park and you can see um showtimes for where you can see it. Uh it'll be playing at a festival uh in the next couple of weeks. Um, and then other short films and sketches and stuff uh, are on there too. Um, check out uh, check out Joey's house out in the suburbs. Uh, I might be doing a <laughs> sing along with, uh, with with the kids. kids. Yeah, you uh, you are as 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 my six year old always tells me. Uh-huh. You may be my best friend, but <laughs> you're really more his best friend. We're we're on the same maturity level, I think. More. <laughs> I mean, you have a law degree. So I can't really like it. You're practicing attorney. So I can't really be on that level. I kind of like the, <laughs> all they have to do is show up for first grade thing. So yeah, like we get each other. Cool. Um, and hey, check me out doing like puppets on Joey's Google Drive for his kids. Oh, uh, there are. <laughs> yeah. there's, there's some Kermit the Frog videos and they're hilarious. Yeah. Cool. Do you want to plug anything, Joey? Uh, no, I'm good. Not your Twitter. Not my Twitter. Nothing. Uh, Jay Gartner Law for legal tech updates. Mm-hmm. There Ta-da. it is. Anyway, thanks for listening this month. Uh, if you enjoy the show, please rate and review it on iTunes, and we will get to finding those reviews as soon as possible. Uh, but if beyond that, just uh, share it with your friends by word of mouth or online, and we will talk to you soon. Bye.